Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 48, where we chat with Dora Diamond. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So, Dora, who are you? Mm. <laughs> How much time do you have? How do you even answer that? Um, I'm, a, I'm a feisty Virgo with a penchant for carbohydrates and toxic men. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, no, I'm, a, I'm a, an independent musician in Milwaukee. I'm a burlesque and drag performer. I'm a YouTube creator. I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm generally anxious. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to me, I guess. A lot of people also say if you would like to share uh, what identities you align yourself with. Oh, sure. Um, I'm a transgender woman um, who identifies as poly in the broad sense. Um, I haven't really had much of a chance to explore what that means for me personally, but it is something that I feel very strongly about. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Yeah. So what drew you to polyamory? Um, <clears throat> polyamory spoke to me because I, I noticed that a, a lot of the source of my feelings of self-loathing or feelings of, of, any sort of negative feelings that I had about myself sort of derived centrally from this idea that I was broken because I wasn't dating a single person or I wasn't in a traditionally monogamous arrangement. And I had to kind of, once I, once I learned more about polyamory and what that meant, I was like, it's so liberating to really think about the concept of love not being defined by possessiveness, but like of freedom and deriving that joy from the love you get and not putting a worth on the number of people you get it from. And just the idea of love being love being fed to us as a finite resource and looking beyond that and being like oh no love can be expressed and um practiced in many different ways and it's all valid and it doesn't have to be quantified to be valid awesome um i guess this is kind of what you just said but what does polyamory mean to you um, polyamory means, like I said before, it means love that is defined not by possessiveness, but by freedom. Um, it means, uh, well, and as a disclaimer, I'm not like anti-monogamy. Um, I think monogamy is perfectly, perfectly valid. And a lot of people, like my parents are monogamous and they have a very lovely relationship and it's a thing that can work. Um, but poly just means to me um, actively rejecting 
a a forced perspective on love um because from what i've you know gleaned from my experience being in the poly group and listening to other people's stories um there really is no one one true way to love someone else and i think poly is the the epitome of that that there is no there is no like one right way is there anything or what if anything do you find difficult about polyamory i mean just dealing with my own jealousy and dealing with the 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 remnants of that idea that i need to have someone to feel um valid or the idea that um you know if someone wants to be with me casually or if someone wants to be with me but is in like a more established relationship first um that feeling of like wanting to have more time and being and not being able to have it with that person um but that just goes back to i have to remind myself that like well that person is like you like part part of being poly is also actively respecting and honoring boundaries and so that's a that's a the the feelings of the feelings of jealousy or is the difficult part that and finding people who align with that in a positive way and not just uh oh this person is poly so i'm just going to use them as like a quick fuck toy and the thing like people who who um treat it like well that just means she's like a slut so I'm not going to try and like foster anything meaningful with her kind of a thing which of course says more about them than it does about me but that's still a hard thing to deal with yeah absolutely and sometimes you know however much we might vaunt the ideals of our community not everybody lives up to those ideals sure I mean, that that goes for any facet of the human experience. True. Absolutely true. So when did you know you were poly or how long have you felt open to polyamory, polycurious? I don't know. I don't, I, I guess, um, I mean, honestly, like real, real truth, um, I didn't even really consider it as a possibility until I started working with the bombshells and being with you, Polly. And like, you were kind of like my, my gateway drug into that whole, that whole thing kind of revamped my entire um, sort of idea of what it meant to have a, um, a meaningful relationship. And I think it was the way that you spoke so confidently and casually about it where like, you're like, Oh yeah, we fully date other people. And, and at, at, when I first heard about it, I was probably like 24, 23, maybe. I can't remember the first time I ever guested with the, the bombshells, but I remember just being like, what, excuse me. And then just <laughs> yeah. like, so for context, uh, the, the burlesque troupe that we are both in is the Bruce city bombshells. And you totally just called me Polly, which is my stage name. <laughs> And I love that so much. <laughs> oh my gosh! Totally sorry. Cute. 
No, it was totally, like, clearly unconscious and adorable, actually. I mean, all of the bombshells call each other by their bombshell name. So it's so, and it's, it's funny because back in the day, we had this other member who I literally, I worked at a, a, like a call center job with her. She was a fellow bombshell and, and it took me forever to remember that she had a real name. I was like, you're not Chassis Deluxe? Like, what are you talking about? Like, at all times? Like, why? You know what? If I may, if I may wax uh, FJW for a second, isn't it so interesting how names are so much more than like what's on paper or on like a birth certificate? And like that's when people are like, oh, I can't call a trans person by their new name because that's not their name. And I'm just like, well, just because it's not on their birth certificate does not mean that you cannot unconsciously call someone by their name. That isn't on their birth certificate. Does that make sense? Do you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Like you, like you, like Chassis Deluxe is someone who has never had that on like a driver's license, but that is their name to you. Mm-hmm. And like a name is so much more than just like, well, these are these words on this birth certificate. So that's what I'm going to call. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's just, I just watched that for a second. It's like the idea of a name is so much more than what people try to trivialize it as or like they always want to make excuses for like not respecting people's names or pronouns and it's like you just don't respect those names and pronouns because you don't really give that much of a shit yeah you choose not to respect yeah you choose not to allow that into your subconscious because you want to continue your projection of that person instead of who they actually are and but also has different names that they use in different contexts no matter how uncomplicated their identity might be um when i was 18 i my mom said go call your uncle to say merry christmas so it's christmas we're at home i call the phone number in the rolodex because this is a long time ago um And I ask for Pat because for my whole life, I have called my uncle, Uncle Pat. And the person who answered the phone was like, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number. So I hung up. I tried again. Same person, same still wrong number. So I go, I hang up the phone. I'm like, I I guess he moved. Like, well, the number, like I got a wrong number. And my mom was like, wait, tell me what happened. I'm like, well, I called and I asked for Uncle Pat. And my mom started laughing. And she's like, that's not his name. Like, what are you talking about? That's not his name. <laughs> My uncle's name, I'm not going to say his name because it was a very unusual name, but it wasn't anything even close to Pat. It was a family name. And the only oh. people who called him Pat were his immediate family because as a toddler, he ran around patting everything. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, cute. So, but I was an adult before I knew that. That's so crazy. Well, so, the, it, it, that just lends itself to the the how names are so much deeper than just the legality of them. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. So then my mom called back and asked for him by his, you know, birth certificate name that most people go know him as. And indeed, it was the correct number. And he had a roommate who did not know that he had family that called him by some completely unrelated name. That's <laughs> totally. so funny. Um, so everybody's got contextual 
identities and contextual names. And like my husband always went, uh, he was always the youngest of like the 40 cousins in his family, you know? And so they called him Robbie, you know, because he's little, like little baby Robbie. And when we still go to Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations, people will call him Robbie. And he's like, I'm 40 years old. (laughs) You know, like, what's wrong with you? Like, he kind of gets, he doesn't get offended by any means, but he's like, it's Rob. Like, that's my name. Don't call me Robbie. (laughs) It's so funny. And I think that's actually a great example of that it's, it can be difficult to get people to recognize your claimed identity that is true for you when they have known you in a different, by a different identity. Totally. It it takes something to make that change. People can do it. Absolutely. You know, like Rob and trans people and anybody who has ever tried to shift their owned self-identity understands that sometimes you cut people some slack but mostly you still have to like own it and most people will try yes exactly people will try perfect perfect example my parents are endlessly supportive of my transition and call me by my 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 actual name my uh they call me dora um all the time um and it's just sometimes they accidentally slip up because they're used, they've called me my dead name for 25 years. And then I transitioned while I'm living in Milwaukee and they live 350 miles up in Northern Wisconsin. So it's like, they don't see me enough to create, or they, they do a great job despite the fact that they don't have the object permanence of constantly calling me that and constantly like, in Milwaukee, um, I had friends. I had friends who did not call me by my dead name before I transitioned. Like they were like, I can't. I only I can't knew call you. Yeah, yeah. Like even even if we and I'd be like, who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. And other people, other people, and this is so funny because this was even before I transitioned, so I didn't really think anything of it. But they were like, yeah. I would say it and then I would cringe really hard because it just didn't feel like your name. And yeah. I was like, huh. So much like most of the times in which I came out in my life, everyone else knew before I did. So that's a <laughs> Yeah, that is a very relatable description of life. <laughs> yeah, there uh and it it's interesting because when people say like I can't do this, I can't change the name in, in my head. You'd be surprised when, like, so I have multiple trans friends just in the community that I I am in, in the sex positive community, the queer community. I have a lot of trans friends. And over time, you completely forget their dead name. I have a, a handful of trans friends that I'm like, I, I have no idea what their dead name is. And I knew them for like five years during that point in their life. No idea. Cannot remember it. Because I have just shifted in my brain that they're either almost entirely a different person or that that other person is kind of dead they're gone like they're just not exactly the other thing that i have been really impressed with is how much easier it is for kids oh yeah oh my god yes my 
My kids have a very close friend who um, their dad took care of my kids and his own kids um, after school, starting when my oldest was like from from when my oldest was six to ten. And so my youngest was like four to eight. And they were at their house every day after school for all of that time, plus tons of other random time. And when their eldest, who's two years older than my eldest, uh, transitioned, the kids were just like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And I could probably count on one hand the number of times that they dead named the kid. And, you know, I had the best of intentions, but I just took longer. Like, I slipped up more. And it was like, and the kids mom you know that's not her name like what are you talking about stop calling her that like oh 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 (laughs) and they just like it was completely nothing to them like oh that used to be so and so and now it's so and so well i remember growing up too and you know kids would be like i don't want to go by that name anymore and it's very much like rob and robbie right when you get you hit teenage years and you're like i hate the name you know like Abigail, I don't want to go by that naming it anymore. You know, I, I, you know, whatever. I want to go by this. Call me this. You know, and uh, and when you're in middle school, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna call you Sky now. <laughs> okay. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of reminds me of my friend. Well, so you guys know Laurel Sulfate, the musician. We're pretty close, and she. She was like, she was talking about how her stage name has kind of become her real name, much like mine did. And she told me her, I'm, I'm going to call it her dead name because it, it is essentially her dead name. Um, but she told me her dead name and I was just like, ew, no. <laughs> could not, I like could not, I'm like, you're Laurel. Like, that's who you are. Like, and so it's like, it's interesting how the the intersection of a name and identity and how that registers in our brains. I actually worked at a school for um, almost all of 2019. I worked at two different schools. And the second school I worked for, there was a trans child. And um, it was, there were like really, really good parts and like really, really like hard parts for me because the kids all called the trans kid by their name, the name that they told them. And like, you know, yeah. but that the staff would like constantly dead name them because <sighs> the name on the record, the name on the record or in the student file was their dead name. Mm-hmm. And so like when they would be called for the bus, they would they would be called by their dead name and i would just see i would just see them go very like rigid for a second and then just like kind of scuttle out of there and it just broke my heart cuz i'm like i'm i'm really thankful that like kids have more support with other kids now like the idea of trans people is something that isn't this weird like freakish thing anymore like it was when I was growing up um but the fact that the the school records still had to keep their dead name on record it's just gross the whole thing is just gross totally 
Yeah, and that sounds like an unsupportive principle, too, because even though you might have to have, like, report cards or whatever in the dead name until there's a legal name change, there is no reason why everybody can't call the person by the name they choose to be called. Like, Well, and and I, I worked in the, the after-school department, so I, I wasn't with them during the school day, and it was just like a couple of the the older staff of the after school program that would call them by their dead name. So I don't actually know how extensive the dead naming went with the other staff. It could have just been the fact that the older like after school staff, the fact that they were, you know, jerks, old. <laughs> yeah, old and and did not want to update their lexicon. But I mean there have to but, have been like girls named Kathleen who went by Katie. Who didn't get called Kathleen? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a, even if they don't understand that it's a conscious like pushback, that it's a conscious pushback. It's like a, yeah. you know, this isn't right to me, so I'm not going to honor it kind of a thing. Right. As a trans person working there was super fun for me. I bet. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we maybe have covered this somewhat, but I'm going to go back and let you fill in more if you would like. Um, when uh, did you first feel different? Uh, if ever. <laughs> but I'm guessing there's an ever. Probably first grade. <clears throat> I mean, that wasn't because I was poly. That was because I was trans. But um, it's uh, it was weird because it's like, I kind of envy. I mean, I don't because then the, a lot of the people, a lot of the trans people who knew that they were trans at a very early age also had a really, really traumatic childhood because they knew that for themselves and it was not honored. Whereas I did not know, I knew that I was different and it caused me a lot of turmoil, but I really didn't have vocabulary to describe why I felt different. And I did not have any sort of exposure to the idea of trans people as a small child so I didn't really know that that was a thing that could happen I just thought that like no one feels at home in their body and everyone feels like they're out of sync with their body and that's just normal and that's just part of being a human so I I felt I started feeling that way at a very early age but I didn't really have I didn't really have the opportunity to unpack that until like my early 20s so where would you say you are in your poly journey? Where am I in my poly journey? Uh, the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> the food court. <laughs> actually, no, I think the food court is actually an apt metaphor because there's a whole lot of choices out there and I don't really know which one I'm craving yet, um, but I just know I'm hungry. That is a fabulous metaphor. I was a little worried about the gift shop metaphor because that's like the last thing that you hit when you're on yeah. your way through the, you know, whatever the tourist destination not is. Not when I go places, honey. That's not the last place I go. That's okay. the first place I go. <laughs> I love the food court metaphor, though. Like, let me take a look around, see what's available. Ooh, that looks good. Ooh, maybe that looks good. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have to have, I don't have to have my entire meal at just this one place. I can have my appetizer here. Mm -hmm. I can have my salad here. 
can have my course here and I can have dessert on the way out. Right. And, ooh, look, they have those great smoothies. Yum. <laughs> now I want Jamba Juice and now I'm sad. <laughs> Me too. Where do you hope to go, if anywhere, on your poly journey? Um, I mean... Like, what are my goals? What are my poly goals? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Sure. Um, I mean, I want, I want a completely overhauled, uh, you know, Marie Kondo version of the American dream. I want, I want to be married to someone. Um, don't give a shit about kids right now, at least. Um, but I want to be like married to someone. Um, but still very much poly. And I want to be married to someone who is either poly themselves or is just like un unwaveringly supportive of the fact that I'm poly. Um, and I want to be settled down and I would like to have that sort of anchor. Um, yeah. That sounds great. So why do you think uh, you are poly or open? I think I'm poly because I started to see the fallacies of forced monogamy. And instead of internalizing it and making it something that was wrong with me, I realized that it was something that was wrong with the way that we we're socialized. And uh, I'm poly because I found the opportunity to choose for myself. And why did you agree to be interviewed? Um... Because I am a narcissist. No. <laughs> um, uh, why what? did I? Well, honestly, it happened, it happened by chance. I was talking to someone on a dating site about being poly, and I said something that I, I verbalized something that I never really had before, and I like sent it to Polly or to to uh, Lindsay. Sorry, I sent it to Lindsay, and I was like. I kind of, I feel really good about this. I feel like that it was, I really like articulated this in a way that I really stand behind. And I, and I, I thought you would get a kick out of it because it has to do with poly stuff. And then she was like, oh, I have a podcast. You should be on it. And I'm like, oh my God, I would love that. I love, I love talking about my experience like fully. Like that's, I, I like, I like being able to uh, relay my journey because I want to be able to possibly help normalize that journey for other people because my journey was very much not like there's a lot of things that are not the norm about my journey um in different ways and so it's like I want someone who can relate I, I want someone to be able to relate to that journey that pretty much if sense. anyone comes to me and says something that's like profoundly poly I'm like hey could you be on my podcast please <laughs> I would like you to say this to the world now, please I know what you said <laughs> I mean I can pull it up it's a, it's kind of a long message, but it was in Tinder and it was, they were like, what do you, like, what do you mean you're poly? And that, can I read it? Can I read the whole message? Yeah. So I said, uh, they're like, what is that? I'm like, it's the liberating idea that love is not a finite resource. I am of the belief that it is a healthy thing to accept that one person can't always be your sole source of love and companionship. It's valid to get different needs met by different people. And that doesn't mean that the love is any less real. As long as there is honesty and communication and everyone's needs are being met, how could that be bad? Love without possessiveness is the most beautiful thing in the world to me. It says, I love and trust you and I love and trust myself and our worth is not defined by ownership, 
but of freedom. That is beautiful. Thank you. And so I was like, I think I just said something good. I'm going to send that to Lindsay because I think that she will vibe with it. (laughs) I did. Yay. All right. So that is, uh, that's our first part of our episode. And then we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. And I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard poly drama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. All right, and we are back. And we are going to talk to Dora today about uh, dating while trans. So how has your experience been? I mean, I guess in a nutshell, and then we can get into the nitty gritty of it. But like, what is dating while trans like? I mean, first of all, there is no one way. Um, my, my dating while trans is going to be different than anyone else's dating while trans because of the endless, uh, nuances of the trans experience. Um, but for me, I'll say it's shitty. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I have been, um, unfortunately, uh, burdened with the tendency to be attracted to cishet men and I'm working on it (laughs) but um that is how it stands so far and uh it's it's a lot I mean there are times where it gets really dark and I feel like um I have to choose between being either reduced to an object or a fetish or just being completely disregarded because that tends to be the conversation about uh about trans women or trans people but I can only speak as a trans woman is that um we're either because like a lot of the time we're not seen even though people don't like to admit this like out loud a lot of the time especially when dating they don't consider trans women to be quote-unquote real women they consider trans women to be like fun little uh like a little side quest for you to like knock off your bucket list before you start dating real women again. Um, or things like that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have a, and these dudes, sometimes it's kind of funny because they think they're being super supportive with the things that I say, but it's really just like a slightly different vintage of gross. 
um, where like they'll be like, oh, I'm like, are you open to dating trans women? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm bi. And I'm like, uh, oh, two statements that are not related. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I love that for you, but that's. I don't feel it's fine. Cool. Work. Party. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like there's there's it's still very much a real thing that the conversation is that like, oh, yeah, I date trans women. I also date women <laughs> like kind of a thing. Right. And it's like, it's OK. <laughs> and there's just a, there's and it really depends on like where my teacup is at, like how full it is and how close to like a meltdown I am in terms of like how much I can take because sometimes I'm just like you know what you're hot and I want to cuddle you so I'm just going to ignore that and press forward um how but, often is that the woman experience in dating though you know it's like why did you say that all right I'm gonna ignore it yeah, yeah. That, is, that is true it's yeah. yeah dealing with cishet men is uh I find my I I kind of feel like Dating cishet men is just, like, a constant uh, moment of, like, looking into the camera like you're on The Office. (laughs) (laughs) I relate. I relate. Like, like the the things that they say, and then in your brain, you're just like, hmm. Yeah. But I would say, in addition to that, I I have had really lovely experiences where I meet people who are very devoted to learning and learning on their own terms and not like mining me for, for emotional labor. Like I do occasionally meet men who are very open-minded in the ways that they view relationships. And also they are just, they already know, or they've already done research into like being with trans women or they have experience being with trans women so they know that it's not you know (laughs) they know not to call me uh you know the tea slur or like uh they know not to make the conversation about trans women versus quote-unquote real women and so there have been like little pockets of sunshine that have been really nice but there is a lot of waiting through bullshit to get to those good moments. Yeah, I, I dated a guy once and he, he didn't quite understand. And obviously like this is a thing that I think a lot of people have to have to learn, right? But like why the T slur is a slur and not just like, I don't know, an identity or a word or whatever. And, and I told him, well, that's often something that people hear um, the moment before they're murdered. And that realization, like it literally, I could see it hit him like a truck and he has, he started tearing up. Like I've never thought of it that way. And I was like, yeah, so now you have that. Um, and so you should think of it that way now. And he's like, I will never think of it any way different. And I was like, good. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah. And so it's like, I've I've honestly, I've never thought of it like that. Like in that, in that specific application. That's a really powerful metaphor. I'm stealing that, actually. (laughs) Me too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I had heard it somewhere, and it it stuck with me. So that's what I always tell people when they kind of are confused. And yeah, it's it's powerful. It's yeah, and it's true. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, cishet men, a lot of them get their entire um, 
viewpoint on sex from porn sites. And because trans women are basically, well, they're called the T-slur on uh, porn sites constantly, or she-male, or other super derogatory uh, words. Um, but they assume that the the trans characters they see on porn are what trans people are like in real life. And I'm like, have you ever had sex that's like a like a porn like with anybody else like do you think that trans women are just like the last possible chance for you to get that perfect porno night like because that's definitely also a problem with cisgendered women and you know the male sex education coming from porn like oh yeah misogyny <laughs> lovingly woven into every fiber of our society Yep. So you had mentioned um, briefly, like the fetishization of trans. Um, And I know that obviously uh, there are different minorities and and folks who get fetishized, but like, could you speak to that? Like what that experience is like or how, or what does it even Um, mean if people are confused? Well, I mean, I mean, this is an adult podcast, right? Like we can speak freely. Okay. So like um, like I said, the, especially the guys who I've interacted with, again, I cannot push or I cannot express enough how, how varied the trans experience is. Um, but when they see a trans woman, especially like um, like me, I post a lot of like my Instagram pictures on my dating profiles because they're fun and glamorous and show me on stage, which is something that brings me a lot of joy. Um, and it's where I look the best. So that's the pictures that I use. But then they, they kind of just assume that because I'm on stage and um, I like to look glamorous on stage, then that just means that that's who I am every moment of the day. And that that's who I would be for them, not with them for them and that's Mm. that's a dynamic that is very sort of unspoken that I don't think especially cishet guys really understand how much of the their navigation of their sexuality is based on um service and how they expect to be serviced and not reciprocate like sexuality is is framed for them like sex is something that is done for you, not with you. And it's like, that is kind of illustrated. Yeah, exactly. Sex is something they do to people, not with people. And in, in my experience, a lot of the, the people that I talk to don't really see or can't really differentiate between things like being a trans person and being a crossdresser. So they assume that, um, if they were to be intimate with me, then I would be in a full face of makeup and high heels and fishnets and lingerie. And I just have to remind them, I'm like, what do you wear when you have sex? (laughs) Do you like to wear when you have sex? Let me guess. It's probably fucking nothing. That's what I like to wear when I have sex too. (laughs) Um, And then it's, 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 a lot of that it's a lot of the 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 inability to differentiate a gender identity with a sexual fetish and that's how it's kind of i mean that's how it's illustrated that's how it's illustrated in porn every trans person you see 
in porn is like fully done up. I mean, because it's porn. It's right. it's Every media is, is, is designed. Yeah, every woman you see in porn has, you know, that 2007 smoky eye and that, that you know, the stripper heels and like that's, and because a lot of cishet porn is designed to be like women are objects to use for fun. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and like denounce porn because I objectify men all the time in porn. Um, it's one of my, it's my favorite thing to do by myself. <laughs> um, but it's also, it, it's, it doesn't carry the same amount of weight because socioeconomically they don't face the same subjugation. Um, and because you can but, distinguish between the thing that you enjoy consuming as a alone or possibly with someone else, who knows, but like the, the consumer product versus actual human beings. Yeah. I have really. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I like to liken it to like learning how to drive by watching Fast and the Furious movies. Like that's a fantasy, you know. Like, that's a full fantasy that you you should not know how to drive by Fast and the Furious, and you shouldn't be driving like you're in a Fast and the Furious movie. It's a fantasy. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of the guys I've I've uh, driven with have learned their driving from Mario Kart. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I actually had an adult family friend tell me. Um, on the question of whether or not one should wait until one is married, because that's how old I am, um, that while you are ultimately in life, you may have the goal of driving a Lamborghini, you should probably learn how to drive on a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some truth That's some truth um, But yeah, the fetishization is something, it's kind of hard for me to like encapsulate it because it's something that, permeates so much of my experience and so much of just the way like fetishization in my opinion is a part of my daily life because trans women are consistently expected to be to perform our gender in the most hyper feminine hyper palatable way possible almost like like we have to prove that we're women and the whole and that that of course lends itself to the entire idea of passability which is really toxic in and of itself because it it completely reduces and homogenizes the the female experience into one uh sort of male servicing archetype but uh in in like actual practice the fetishization is a lot like um i'll get questions like um are you a full woman or do you still have your dick? Ooh. To like open a conversation. Oh. And to me, to me that says, I don't really see you as a person, but just as like um, a menu item for sex. Yeah. Um, sure. Or, and something that's honestly really complicated is that I'll get people who, I don't know if they're like baby transes themselves or if they're just cross-dressers, but they'll kind of, they'll kind of seek me out for validation for their fetish. Like they'll be into cross-dressing and they will expect me to want to cross-dress with them. And like their mentor. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to navigate because I don't get a predatory vibe from them. A lot of the time I get like a, I feel very unsupported and am looking for support. But at the same time, 
it's also not my job to cater to someone's fetish because they just a assume common, that. That's a common experience with femmes on dating sites is, is um, folks will come to them for like, oh, you're so good at hair and makeup. Will you do mine? You know, will you, will you do a makeover for me? And it's like, oh, I know you just want support, but also that's not my fucking job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm here for something totally different. This is a dating yeah. site. Right. And, th- and that comes with its own sort of like weird, like shame spiral thing, because I actually have a lot of PTSD surrounded by cross-dressing. Cross-dressing was kind of, uh, for uh, and it ha- has been for trans people in the past too, um, not just me, but uh, cross-dressing was something that, um, was kind of my first taste of feminine presentation outside the context of a show. But in my experience, uh, I began to sort of associate my sense of worth with being in full costume. Like, I was only ever getting attention from men when I was in full beat, like makeup, wig, like full head-to-toe drag. Um, and my drag has always been very understated uh, in terms of the spectrum of drag, where, like, my my goal was to look very hyper-feminine, not big and, like, um, sort of, uh, you know, exaggerated. Mine was a little bit more, um, like I said, understated. But uh, I, I went to a really dark place in which I was like, it's really not okay that I'm only, that I only feel worth something when I have all of these things, this goop on my face and I'm covering up my natural hair and like nothing about this is, is my, my natural state. It's all, you know, it's all artifice. And that of course in itself lends itself to the conversation of that's how women are trained to view our self-worth is you know how can we how can we change our yucky natural state to make ourselves more you know um desirable for men because that's really what we're here for anyway right um but that was kind of my first uh my first introduction to like applied misogyny in my life and so um it made me hate myself so i stopped dressing for men completely. Um, and I still do that. I still refuse to dress, um, for sex because I'm like, I'm not a cross dresser and I want to be comfortable if we're going to be intimate. And if you can't stand the idea of being with a woman who isn't in clothes and makeup to have sex with you, then you're not really someone who I want to be around anyway, because that sounds exhausting. Like who, I don't think it, it's so funny because it's like so naturally ingrained that that's how it's supposed to be. Like, l- like I want, I want men, if there are any cishet men who are listening to this podcast, I want you to sit there and I want you to think about taking an hour to do your makeup and to get into clothes and a fucking corset and heels and not, a, and it, you know what, if it's something that gets you off, if you want to do that, please do that. But if it's not something that you want to do, I want you to really sit there and think about doing that just to have you come over and have sex with them. I want, I want, I want cishet men to think about, is your dick worth an hour of makeup and hair? There was this really funny joke at like the Academy Awards or something. And um, 
Tina Fey was talking about some man who had um, who had had a role where he put on like you know was sitting in a makeup chair for three hours of like prosthetics and special effects makeup to make him look like this other thing or person. And she was like, and uh, you know, for us, that's just uh, being an adult woman. We, you know, yeah. we have to, we also have to sit in a makeup chair for three hours to look like a human being, uh, but and what you expect us to look like. But okay, we're gonna applaud you. Congratulations, you had to do this for one role once in your life. <laughs> yeah. Tea. That's real tea. But yeah, I would. I I really just. I mean. But then again, I just wish uh, cishet men would just be introspective at all, ever. <laughs> like, yep. and like, just, just like, just take, just take a couple. I mean, it's gonna suck when you do it because you're gonna realize that you're, you're, you got a lot to unpack. But just think about the things you expect from the women around you, and if you can reciprocate that, and if you think that that's fair. What else do I have? I had a point that just said cishet men. I think we covered <laughs> that. Feels covered. I so. mean, that's an. I mean, that's an entire season of a podcast, honey. Cishet <laughs> right. men. Oh my oh god. Oh my god. Actually, uh, there's a, a Phoebe. Oh gosh, I can't remember her last name. Well, she has a podcast. This woman named Phoebe has a podcast. She's a stand-up comedian called So Many White Guys. Yeah. Oh, Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe Robinson, yeah. And it's such a good podcast. It's so, so many white guys is hilarious. It's really good. Everybody should be, go to it. That might be that might be some re- required listening for these pandemic blues. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. There's a couple seasons. It's like a pretty well known podcast because it's like a on the it's on the same podcast network as like NPR, This American Life, right? It's like Yeah, I think it's WNYC. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, so many white guys. Yeah, yeah, but it so it has like three so or four. So many white so guys. So many white guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll link it because it's it's good. It's required. Although, so my only my one um, hang up, I guess, but not so much. I don't know. So, so the whole point of the of the the podcast is she interviews everyone except white men because they they are all over the place and and in in every single corner of of every podcast right she does interview white trans men like she interviewed um buck angel yeah oh no i'm like but he's a white but she she's making an effort that she will only interview one white male uh season and so and it'll be someone big like tom hanks right like it'll be someone wow yeah 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 and but then so she interviewed Buck Angel and I was like, you know, you're kind of saying that he's not a white man and he is. But so yeah. she could be like, Wait, so, so many cis so, white guys. You know, obviously she's talking about like a, a certain so demographic. He, she she interviewed him not in the one designated white guy spot. No, she didn't. Uh, and then right. she also uh, interviewed she interviewed Alaska Thunderfuck. And I was like, dude, he's a white man and he's. I don't know. I guess I don't know if he has any like has ever come out as trans, but I don't think he has. So I don't think I don't think he's not binary either. I think he's just a I think he's just a a, A gay man, a a gay man who looks pretty in makeup. Um, Exactly. Right. So so there are there are a few hang ups I have with that. I'm glad she interviewed both of them because they're both incredibly interesting people. But if the point of your podcast is to not interview white guys, white men. 
Well, yeah. also, yeah. honestly, um, unfortunately, uh, Buck Angel is not a good representation of trans men at no. all. No, um, he's not. Because and he's got because some dramatic you know, shit. You heard, you heard about him being true scum, right? I have definitely heard that. And he's old, you know, like, so he, he's come into the Toolshed and done classes before, which was really amazing. I do think that as someone... Like, he's been here physically? Yeah, physically. Yeah, he taught two classes at the Toolshed um, last year or the year before. Uh, and, like, as someone who has done so much work in the trans movement, like, I, I really... I was so excited to meet him, and, and he's so, like, important in that movement. But he's also, like, going on 60. Like, he likes to call himself Tranpa. Like, he's, yeah. like, he's, like, this person who can be looked up to, but in that same way that so many people in the sex-positive community, they get to this certain age, and sometimes it's the exact opposite, right? Like, this isn't across the board. But there are older people in the community who have these viewpoints and they're set in them and it's really disappointing and you're like you've done so much work and you're so you know like and I'm here for this experience and history that you've had but but why can't you keep growing <laughs> like why can't you yeah. keep evolving yeah. in your viewpoints yeah yeah real thing well and I, I think I mean Honestly, the, we can link this back to the fetishization of trans people. I think when we when there are marginalized people, we tend to like deify them or like assume that if you're part of a marginalized group, there's nothing for you to unpack or there's there's no chance or there's no opportunity for you to like be better. Absolutely. Like it's like just because you're trans doesn't mean you're like automatically woke. I mean, I knew a trans Trump supporter or a Scott Walker voter who is trans. And I was like, ooh, not a good look this, but okay. Yeah. Or just because you're gay doesn't mean, you know, like, oh, doesn't oh, mean you transphobic, you know, like. Oh, God. oh yeah, transphobia is super, super prevalent in the gay community. The entire fandom of drag race, there's an undercurrent of transphobia in that. Um, I actually just had a trans friend who was like, on her social media, she's a trans drag performer. And she was like, if you support RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm going to delete you because it is super triggering to see these people consistently come out and support this person who has said blatantly that he doesn't think that trans women have a place in drag. Like, it's gross. Like, it's and it's really gross to see people who claim to be supportive of the community also be like, Yas, hunty, I love RuPaul, Mama Ru, hashtag drag race. And it's like, well, um, something's got to give there. Because like, and for those of you, because I don't know how many people who listen to this uh, podcast um, like drag race, but it, drag race is something that's very polarizing. Because for me, I love seeing people get a platform who otherwise wouldn't have one. I mean, I'm watching, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I'm watching this season, but I'm watching this season because I want Jada Essence Hall to win and I want to support Jada Essence Hall um, because she's a friend of mine. And I don't fault people who um, use that show to get a platform because it's like, otherwise queer drag performers don't really have a lot of options in supporting themselves as, as drag artists in that to that level so I don't fault people for doing the show um 
I fault people who refuse to hold transphobe, transphobes accountable for their transphobia and who think that, um, like, oh, it's, it's always the same argument. It's like, oh, well, if you, if you don't like Drag Race, don't watch it and make your own show. And I'm like, you know, that's not, that's not the same thing. RuPaul is, is the, is in a place of power in which he is pretty much the sole grantor of this platform to queer people, uh, to that level. And it's like, it's not on us to completely revamp the system and make space for ourselves. It's time that we claim the space that we are, that we deserve. That doesn't have anything to do with dating, but it's still something I very much feel strongly about. For sure. Well, and all of this, it, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race is such a big part of, of modern um, culture, you know, yeah. and, and, and like it's RuPaul is a household name. He's not just in the queer community. He's not no, just like not game He's actually a niche market. Yeah, he's like people know who he is, and he has a platform where he could say some really powerful shit, and yet he, he and he's old too. Like he he might not look it when he's all dolled up, but he's older yeah. too. And and there's these like problematic faves who continue to say this problematic yeah. shit, and he's so wealthy and powerful and he could do so much with this platform and yet right. well and these are the contexts into which you're dating because people yeah. have familiarity with these shows even if they don't particularly watch or you know are knowledgeable about the details of the politics of the community they're still familiar in a general way and you have to figure out what you what people are like you have to speak into people's listening, but you also have to listen for how, where people are at. And yes. those are, that's where they are, you know? And so you don't, sure. you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And those are sort of the contextual markers that people may throw up to try to signal that they're open-minded or they're, you know, whatever. And it's, it's a really, it's complicated. It is endlessly so. So another question I like to ask our guests is, depending on if it, if it makes sense with their topic, do you have advice for other people who have kind of like, who, who are maybe in your situation or who are thinking about uh, being in a situation close to uh, yours? Like, do you have advice for people who are dating while trans? I do. Um, I think my the first and foremost thing that I want to say is don't compromise your own boundaries just to be with someone. Transphobia, one of the reasons why I am still single is because I have no tolerance for transphobia. And, and that doesn't mean like if someone accidentally says the T-slur in context to porn that I'm just like, oh, you're canceled. No, I take the opportunity to be like, that's a slur, don't use that. Um, I, If someone does not show an interest in listening or respecting boundaries, or if they are so hung up on fetishizing trans people that they don't listen to the pushback against that, leave them alone. Like, do not pursue stuff with them. No, no man is worth 
you, you feeling like an object for. And honestly, I can say that to cis women too. Like, mm. don't do not okay. stand to let yourself be objectified. Um, because I would rather be alone for my entire life and not compromise my peace for a dude than just, you know, be with someone because I don't want to be alone. Like, things are tough. And, like, people are going to do what they're going to do. But I'm just saying it is important if we stand up for ourselves against fetishization, then that means we can start to change the conversation about it. That's a great way of framing it. Well, and that also brought up for me a question of, like, safety. How do you stay safe? Because it, it is... Like, you are probably one of the most at-risk when it comes to dating in communities, right, My, minority, and other than, I would say, probably um, black trans women or sex workers, yeah. right? I was going to say that trans women of color are, are at much, much higher risk of violence than white trans women. But then again, we just saw several white trans women murder this year, and it's only May. Um well, in greater risk, it doesn't mean, you know, you're not at risk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how do you, how do you uh, stay safe? That's a hard one, because, like, the uncomfortable truth is that there's nothing... If I, if I invite a man into my apartment, if he freaks out and gets violent, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, I... My safety is not really in my hands. It's, totally. it's on the onus of, of the, the men, the, the men that I, that I talk to, um, the precautions that I do take, um, I'm very open and upfront about being trans and, um, I'm someone who is very quick to talk about my transition openly. Um, that is not everyone's experience and it is not required like I'm, I, I fully understand that you, you are not, you are not required to divulge your truth to anyone. Um, I just feel for myself that it is a safety measure to be like, just so you know, I am trans. I do not take hormones. I'm not on surgery. I'm not on hormones. I don't, I haven't had any surgery. Like this is what you will be experiencing if you were to be intimate with me and I need you to know that consciously going in. The scariest thing about that is like, there is no singular, like, yes, there is trans panic where someone like didn't know that that person was trans and then found out and then freaked out and then murdered that person, which isn't, it isn't excusable. It's just something that we've heard before. Um, but then there are people who knew and then at the moment of truth, freaked out. And so there's really no, like, unfortunately, there's really nothing we as trans women can do. <laughs> I mean, unless you just want to, like, be strapped all the time and carry a gun. But that's not really something that I align with for myself. Um, and it's still not a guarantee, you know? Like, exactly. it's not. Exactly. Um, so it's like, how do I feel? I mean, uh, I... For me personally, dating while trans involves understanding that every date is a possibility for violence. 
I know that if I meet someone new, I always have to be very hyper aware of their body language. If they seem very nervous or upset, I don't go with them. But beyond that, really, the only the only thing that I can do for myself, the, the only thing that puts me at ease is being upfront about it to be like, this is what's going on. I need you to know that fully before we spend time together because I don't want to become a fucking statistic. And that's so often the like, just general woman's experience, right? Like, there's this quote of like, a man's greatest fear when going on a date is being laughed at and a woman's greatest fear is being murdered. You know, yeah, like, <laughs> very that. Yeah. Well, and also, also another, I guess, safety measure that I do is I talk about political shit like right away, like misogyny, transphobia, racism, because dudes will tell you in very certain terms where they stand on things like that. Um, and unfortunately, it can turn out pretty quickly that they're not as supportive as you think they are. Or like, um, there have been a lot of times where I've been talking to guys and they've been sort of supportive, but then I talk to them about like women's issues or feminism in general. And they'll say something like, I just think it's not as bad as everyone says it is. And I'm like, I'm sure that you do. I'm <laughs> sure that you do think that. But uh, this was great. You have a great night now. Like, I, I just fully shut it down. And that's probably one of the reasons why I... I don't have a partner right now is because I have a very low threshold for that. I'm very much, as soon as I get any sort of inkling that someone is not mindful of the experience of marginalized communities in any way, like I'm like, nah, and not even just from a safety standpoint, but just like, I will not be able to relate to you. Like right. I'm not going to be able bad to fit. feel safe. This is a bad fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be able to feel safe with someone who cannot empathize with marginalized people like that's just not it's not going to happen it, you're not going to you're not going to enjoy spending any time with my friends or my family or like it's just you're gonna you're gonna have a bad time I don't really care as much about that but that is also a, a thing like you're not going to have a good time because I'm gonna we're, like in my friend group we talk about things like making things better for marginalized people and we talk openly about our feelings and our struggles as marginalized people of different intersections. And if you can't jive with that, bye. <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, and this was maybe five years ago now, I was on a date with a guy who was white, kind of affluent, and he had said, and, and, and he identified as a poly, and, uh, poly swinger. And I remember him saying the phrase, privileged smivlage. I have, you know, there are things in my life that aren't perfect, and, and I'm, and someone who totally passed as, as a, a, a straight man with a wife, right? And he said, you know, like, I'm poly and a swinger. I'm, I'm not treated perfectly either. And I remember thinking, my vagina has just sealed itself shut. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's, that's the point where you just, like, print yourself inside out. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoop. Okay, you will. I will never have sex with you. And this, and like, yeah. I, I prefaced that this was five years ago because since then, he has definitely seen the light, and he has changed, and he is a different person now. And I, I, I applaud his growth, but at the same time, there's still, like, in my brain, it's every time I hear him talk or see him, I think privileged mivilage, and I do, I like, I, my, I, I can't get over it. Like, I just like, oh. yeah.
Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to think about because I don't think men realize how impactful the things they say are because they're just so used to being in the status quo that they just assume that their experience is the shared experience. And also, I'd go so far as to say, if, if that's what you think about every time you hear him talk, that sort of speaks to how, uh, as a safety measure, we have to remember things like that as women. And uh, as women who date men, like, that's a thing, like, you have to be hyper-vigilant a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're meeting someone It's new. sometimes subtle, right? It's sometimes not someone saying privilege, privilege, which is so ridiculous, but it's sometimes these subtle little like microaggressions and things that you're like, okay, I'm I'm checking that box off in my head. I'm going to save that for later. And now I know, you know. Very that. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, a lot of those boxes are deal breakers. Yep. But also for me to tick those boxes, you need to show that not only do you think that way, but also you're not going to, like, you're not going to be, you're not, you're like staunchly in that space. And also I'll go so as, as so far as to say, it's not my job to like give you space to be better either. Like I don't have to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't care if you're really hot. If you're saying things like, uh, Oh, black lives matter is just as violent as the, the alt-right. I get that a lot. And I'm just like, honey, that is so not true. And I don't have time to explain it to you. And you will not be experiencing my company tonight. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your job. No. Yeah. There are times in which I feel generous and I'm like, do I feel generous enough right now to be your teacher? And, and, you know, and, and and it's really a a flip of a coin where I'll be like, all right, I feel generous enough today for my mental energy and time. And then there are times which like, nope. Not even. Yeah, no. absolutely. And that, that's the tea. Because like, there are some times where I'm having a really good day and someone says something that they're actually really excited about, but it's a little problematic. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to let you know that this is how it is. And sometimes they're like, oh my God, thank you for telling me that. I did not think of it like that. I'm, I now know that. And in which case I'm like, yay, win-win. But then there are other times where it's just like, everybody's so sensitive these days and it's like okay well um that was a waste of my time but you know you do you i guess thing from it so okay now you can be moved into a different category yeah and there are are times in which viable oh well i i like to think about it in ways that like they're back when i have been corrected Right. Like so. And how people treated it. Were they really, you know, like kind of I don't want to say shitty about it because like I was wrong. Right. If I said something stupid and problematic and they were shitty about it, they were with well within their right to feel shitty about it because it probably wasn't the first time they've had to correct a stupid white lady. Right. And so people who were generous and, and, and thoughtful with with me and correcting me in my past, um, you know, I, I there is so much coming from a really tiny town with no openly gay folks with, I, I didn't, in, to my knowledge, didn't, uh, hadn't met a trans person until I was like out, out of college. I probably had, obviously. But like when I did, there were so many questions I had and 
I cringe to think about the stupid fucking questions I asked, you know? Like, I was like, oh, why didn't I do my own Googling? God damn it. You know? And some people were really gentle with me and being like, oh, dude, that's not cool. Don't ask that. And I'm yeah. like, oh, right. Yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't have even been able to transition if I didn't have trans friends in the community who were very gentle with me. And granted, I think, looking back, I think at that point I was a little more mindful, but... It's also one of those things where, like, there is, and I will say, as someone who, it, like, I'm a marginalized person, but I'm a white lady. So, like, my, I try to, like, budget a little more, like, time, especially, like, if it's, like, a white person being shitty about race things. Like, I'm like, nope, I gotta come get my people. Like, I gotta, I gotta talk to them. Um, but when it's, like, me like defending my own gender because I'll get some people who are who will message me on dating sites just to be like why do you think you're a woman hmm. Black. yeah it's like it's like I, I'm like first I, my first instinct is to be like you really probably thought you got me with that question huh um <laughs> but also I have to I have to learn to pick my battles with that because it's like why why do I need him to understand me he has already he has already opened the conversation with something so so smug and misinformed that my libido has fully just gone on a cruise to costa rica um, <laughs> like she's yeah. gone like yeah. she's she's taking a summer off but yeah. yeah learning how to just like say no to those trolls i mean really they are trolls yeah, was awesome. one of the most like beneficial things i could ever do in life is to just like be like okay there's no there's no learning here they're not going to learn anything and i'm going to spend my mental, mental energy and like and i'm going to get worked up about it and i'm going to probably feel bad and i'm going to feel like that the world is all bullshit and I don't need to feel those things I could continue living my life with the yeah. people who are totally you know accepting of of education and want to learn and want to change their problematic views and I can focus my energy on them yeah and I can disregard everyone else there's plenty of the people in the category of at least trying and wanting to do well by yeah. their fellow people it's honestly not, I mean, it is for some people, but for me, it's not that hard to gauge people's energy. If they're like, if they're like coming at you from a, like I said, like a smug, like, ooh, I'm about to dunk on this libtard kind of a thing. But like, it's like, if someone is already coming at you with that energy, I'm already like, you're like looking for me to validate you with this and like thoughts and prayers. Like, I hope you feel validated someday and I I hope I hope all the I I hope that all the boots you lick taste just delicious. <laughs> all right, so Sadora, so please tell folks where they can find you and uh, follow you. I was going to make a, you can find me on the corner joke, but we are in quarantine so that joke doesn't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can find me on my balcony. <laughs> yes. Um so on Instagram, you can find me on Instagram at Ms. Dora Diamond. That's M-I-Z-Z -Z Dora Diamond. Um, you can also find me on YouTube. Um, I've got two YouTube channels. One is Dora Diamond and one is Decora Dora. 
my main channel is for like makeup and burlesque stuff and I do like unboxings and things and then my other YouTube channel is like for like nerdy anime stuff because I contain multitudes you can also find my music at doradiamond.bandcamp.com or you can find me on SoundCloud I think too I don't remember what that one is but I'm on there I think that's it yeah also my Venmo is <laughs> Ms. Dora Diamond. yeah if you have any cishet guilt sends money your way yeah <laughs> yes very that if you would like to pay reparations for being a white cis hat man and just generally needing to be better um you can find my venmo at ms dora diamond same as my instagram <laughs> be lovely okay. if it worked that way <laughs> oh my goodness i'd never have to work a day in my life thank you for agreeing to be interviewed dora this was a lot of fun oh my gosh i had such a good time this was so great and thank you for having me this this, it's, so, it's so nice to be able to, like, you know, get my journey out there and, and talk to kindred spirits. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Have a good, safe rest of your pandemic. And uh, <laughs> take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller. And Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.